0: Friends, I'm continuing my, uh, our, our series at the moment into Encountering Jesus. And the title of today is called The Insecure Leader. Now, I just want to highlight this. I prepared today's sermon and prepared for Calvin's prayer in two very different spaces. Calvin has nothing to do with being an insecure leader. And don't draw those two analogies, right? But I want to I um, just ask you a question to begin today. What motivates you? What motivates you? What motivates you online? What motivates you in the room today? And I think this is a driving factor. I did some research about what motivates some famous people. Now, some of you may know this man named Arthur Miller. He wrote something called The Death of a Salesman. He was well known uh, to be a companion of Marilyn Monroe back in the day. And when asked what motivates him, he recounted the fact that he walked away from God at a young age and now says this, I feel like I've carried around the sense of judgment. I could not escape it. It still felt like I needed to prove myself to others, to have somebody tell me that I was okay, that I was acceptable, that I was approved of. One of the most successful playwrights of all time comes out and says, I feel like everyone still judges me. I have to earn acceptance. What motivates you today? What motivates you today? One of the most successful rock stars of all time, Madonna, now at the age of 70, and looks a very natural age of 30, says this, She says, all of my life, all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. My drive in life is formed from this horrible fear of being mediocre, and that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. What motivates you today? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What leads you to go to work, to parent your children, to, to go about whatever you do? For those of you like, who the heck's Arthur Miller? And you're like, my mom likes Madonna, not me. Maybe this one will help you out. Taylor Swift said this in a documentary released a couple of years ago, where people, talking about her famous colleagues, who got into this line of work because we wanted people to like us. Because we were intrinsically insecure. Because we like the sound of people Clapping. Because it made us forget how much we feel like we're not good enough. What motivates you this morning? You know, when I hear these people and I see these famous people quote these things, I can't help but think to myself, wow, they are so incredibly insecure. And I follow that up with this end of that thought, just like me. Hey, maybe I'm alone in the room today. Maybe I'm the only one that can say, hey, I'm an insecure guy. I struggle with insecurity. And maybe your kids there, you don't struggle with insecurity. Maybe you're the most secure person they've ever met. You're like sitting there going, what the heck is an insecure leader? I know who I am. I know my value. I know my worth. And I'd say, that's so good for you. Could you pray for the rest of us? Could you just be so kind to just lean in and teach us your ways? Because I might be wrong, but I think insecurity is a mark of what it means to be human. Insecure, this word kind of means to be concerned or overly anxious about oneself. Do you know this thing of insecurity today, friends? Do you know what it means to be concerned or overly anxious about yourself? To be weighed down and be like, man, I just don't know. And this insecurity drives you. See, I see these words of Taylor Swift and Madonna and Arthur Miller, and I think, wow, not even money can take this away. Not even fame and acclaim and achieving can take away this threat of insecurity, friends. It's part of the human condition that needs a greater response than just a bigger bank account or more people calling out our name. When insecurities are left unchecked, they develop into dark shadows of our life, leading us to strive for success in ways we were never called or created to. Our insecurities can rob us from seeing God and encountering Jesus in any single moment. What motivates you this morning? See, we're going to look at this moment where Jesus encounters an insecure leader. Why? Because I think the greatest concern of anyone that follows Jesus, anyone that claims to be a follower of Jesus, is their greatest concern will be this, that we would spend our lives pursuing that which will not last. That we would spend our lives feeding on what is dark and motivated by insecurity rather than security. Motivated by our self-absorption rather than selfless sacrifice. Friends, what motivates you today? See, when insecurity begins to plague us, It gives way to us wanting to succeed at things that do not matter and hold no weight of eternal value. And so we stumble into this story this morning in the Gospels. We've been looking at these encounters with Jesus, and we know two things so far that everybody, more often than not, is given an opportunity to encounter Jesus. But encountering Jesus alone, friends, will not transform you. Maybe you're here for the first time today, and you're like, I'd love to encounter Jesus. Just encountering God won't transform your life. What will transform your life isn't the encounter. What will transform your life is how you respond to the encounter. Because we see time and time again in the Gospels, people who came face to face with the living Jesus Christ and nothing changed. Nothing. So friends, the question we must ask ourselves is how are we responding to Jesus today? And so we step into the story of an insecure leader, a man named Pontius Pilate. And maybe you know the story of Pontius Pilate because you've been around Christianity for a while. And maybe this might be new to you. But many of you will know Pontius Pilate comes into the narrative of Jesus towards the end of his life. In fact, we pick up the story today in John chapter 18 on what is known at Easter as Good Friday. And on Good Friday, Jesus is spent the night before being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane by the religious leaders. He gets prosecuted and tried, but they can't kill him because their Rome has has subjugated Jerusalem. They have to take him to the Roman authorities for Jesus to be sentenced to death. So on the morning of Good Friday... They take Jesus to the palace where Pontius Pilate waits. And we see an encounter between Jesus Christ, and an insecure leader. We read this in John chapter 18, verse 28 to 32. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas, the high priest, to the palace of the Roman governor. But now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would have handed him up, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus about what, to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. We're introduced into Pilate's story. Now, when I was reading this and I had to talk about the insecure leader. I was kind of like, well, is not just the point of Pilate's life that he was the hinge point of delivering Jesus to the cross? It wasn't the whole reason why Pilate existed this idea that, that he was just kind of the Roman official sentencing Jesus to death? And thank God for that. Jesus died a death that we should have died so that we might have life and life to the full. But when we just say that Pilate, his, his role was inevitable, we rob him of agency and we rob our ability to learn that hey, everyone, no matter what is happening in divine, has agency and choice. Pilate chooses here. He is not forced. He chooses to do things with Jesus' life. And I want to examine what we can learn about the role of insecurity from Pilate. So who was Pontius Pilate? One writer says he was a lightweight. He was ambitious mid-tier Roman administrator sent to the exact place no ambitious political man wanted to go, Israel. A strange place occupied by highly religious people whose passion for their God and their traditions were likely to flare up into riots at any moment. No no one wanted this job. So you have this aspiring politician in a job in a place where no one wants to be. And in this moment, what do you think he's thinking? Yet again, he's pulled out of bed to deal with a a local upstart. Pilate is frustrated. He's annoyed. He was recorded recorded to have been brutal to the Jewish people, often choosing to slaughter them rather than to maintain law and order. And eventually, Pilate gets extricated out of Jerusalem back to Rome, gets stepped down because he does such a bad job. Here is this man who is caught between the people he oppresses and the ones he oppresses them on behalf of. Pilate is hammered between the hammer of the Roman Empire and the anvil of the Jewish people trying to survive. And here, Jesus is caught in the midst of this. And what we see is that Pirate's insecurity drives him to keep everyone in their place, to keep everyone comfortable, to keep everyone just going forward. And when someone hops up and disrupts it, he tries to run away from this problem. In this moment, they say, you need to try him. And he goes, no, you go try him. He refuses responsibility. Why do you think Pilate does this? Because Pilate, like all of us, is insecurities, friends. Insecurities that have taught him to protect himself, his self-interest, his needs, his desires, and his agendas. See, his job was to rule and maintain the order, but his desire was to avoid responsibility because this is what happens with insecurities. When insecurities run unchecked, they develop what we call shadow missions. Shadow missions. And a shadow mission is a destructive, sinister, selfish version of the calling job or appointment you have been called to achieve. Pilate's shadow mission was to maintain comfort, security, position, and climb up the ladder at no cost to himself or obligation of his own. What we see is how Pilate's shadow mission leads him to avoid responsibility, compromise his convictions, abdicate decision-making, and conform to expectation. But friends, here's what I come to tell you today. We all have a shadow mission. We all have a shadow mission. I remember when I first heard this term, it was a couple of years ago at a global leadership summit with a guy named John Ortberg. And John Ortberg came out and he said, everyone has a shadow mission. In fact, he says this word, a shadow mission is my authentic mission hijacked by my ego and my wounds. And we all have one of these. In fact, if you're a leader in the room, you have a shadow mission. And if you don't know what that shadow mission is, John Ortberg would say, everyone around you does. Everyone around you can see it. And the reason why I want to talk about this is not just because I believe you have a shadow mission, but friends, I believe this. You have a calling. You have a unique calling from God. God has uniquely appointed you. He's uniquely anointed you and called you into his mission to fulfill a purpose that you were called to uniquely fill. And if we're not aware of shadow missions, then our calling can be derailed by our selfish ambitions and decisions to do things that at no cost to ourselves. Do you know what your shadow mission is today? See, the first thing that Pilate's shadow mission does is it leads him to avoid responsibility. These guys walk up and they're like, you've got to prosecute Jesus. And what does he go? He goes, no, 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 you go prosecute him. I want nothing to do this. Because this is what selfish ambition, this is what insecurity often does. We avoid responsibility because as soon as we take responsibility for something, we also run the risk of failure. We also run the risk of getting it wrong. We run the risk of someone turning around and going, hey, that was your decision. Friends, where I would ask you to identify your shadow mission would simply by asking this, what are you avoiding right now? So often the commitments and tasks we avoid in our life are a great indication of what our shadow mission actually is. Some of us in this room are avoiding conflict. Some of us in this room are avoiding responsibility. Some of us in this room are avoiding commitment, avoiding decision-making. We avoid these things because they come at a cost that we're not willing to pay because they don't achieve the shadow mission that we want. What motivates you today? In stark contrast to Pilate, we have Jesus. Jesus who doesn't avoid responsibility but goes to a cross taking on the responsibility of all of humanity onto himself. But the Jewish leaders refused to let Pilate off in this moment. Friends, the first sign of Pilate's shadow mission is what he's choosing to avoid. What are you choosing to avoid today? The story goes on and the next verse that we read. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? What's Jesus saying? He's not letting Pilate off. No one said up to this point in the story, This Jesus guy is saying he's the king of the Jews. So somehow Pilate has heard information. He's been in rooms that have been talking about Jesus before this moment. He knows who Jesus is. But Jesus won't let him hide behind his insecurity or feigned ignorance. He goes, no, no, no. Who's been telling you these things? You've been finding out about me from someone. Don't hide, Pilate. I see you. Pilate goes, am I a Jew? In verse 35, your own people and chief have any, chief priests have handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom. He's not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But my now, my kingdom is from another place. Ah, you are a king then, says Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Can you hear what Pilate's insecurity is trying to do? He's trying to box Jesus in with a label that helps him understand how to interact. He's going, ah, you're a king. Why? Because Pilate has two economies, the economy of military might or political power. And he's trying to work out what kind of king is this guy? Is he coming at me with armies or is he coming at me with political power I can't see? And Jesus turns around and goes, I'm part of a kingdom that plays in a way you don't understand. My greatest weapon isn't a sword and it's not political intrigue. The greatest weapon I bring is truth. I've come to bring truth, Pilate. Pilate looks at this man Pilate doesn't understand how to work in in commodities of truth. He hasn't gotten where he is today because of truth. He's gotten because of backstabbing, because of power, because of his might. And in this moment, he turns around to Jesus and says, What is truth? In the next verse. This is Pilate crawling out at insecurity, not liking the mirror that Jesus holds up to him truth for Pilate is one on the end of a sword or through political mastery, not through religious revelation. And Jesus has come to break apart the very shadow mission that Pilate has so often rested upon. The story goes on with this. He went out against the Jews, gathered there, said, I find no basis for charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release this king of the Jews? They shouted back to him, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They slapped him in the face. We sing a song here at New Life called All Hail, King Jesus. Did you know that those words were first used as a mockery? first time Jesus heard those words were not out of worship. It was out of disdain. So Pilate knowingly comes along and says, "I see nothing wrong with this guy. Hey guys, he's innocent. Like I can't, I can't charge him." And in this moment, what do you see Pilate doing? In that moment, he could have finished it. He could have suppressed the uprising with violence said, hey, my soldiers are going to let this man go. No one touch him. But instead, he's more worried about his popularity with the crowds than holding up the justice and truth that he's been appointed to uphold. So what does he do? He comes along and he manipulates the narrative because that's what insecurity does. Insecurity calls us to manipulate things in a way that makes us look good and puts the responsibility on someone else. So he goes, oh, I'll give you a choice. You can either have the terrorist Barabbas, we all know as a bad guy, or Jesus, who's done nothing wrong. What's he doing in this moment? He's actually trying to take a step back from holding his convictions and putting the weight and the blame on them. In this moment, what Pilate's shadow mission is, remember, is to maintain his comfort, his security, his position in place with minimal cost or obligation. So he compromises with the crowd. And this is what insecurity does. Insecurity and shadow missions call us to compromise our convictions. We just the way we justify the way we compromise our convictions based on the way others are pressuring us in a moment. Because we've listened to the voice of our hearts yelling from our ego or our wounds. We compromise how we value, value each other every time we gossip or backstab. That's a product of a shadow mission. Every time we handle a business and we do things that aren't illegal, but they are unethical, That's a compromising of our convictions. That's us saying, hey, I know an easier way to get there. We compromise how fast we hold to our conviction of truth when we deny the truths of God that we might not offend the crowd. Where in your life are you compromising your convictions right now? John Altberg goes on to say it like this. He says, Our shadow mission leads us just five or ten degrees off our true path in the direction of selfishness or comfort or arrogance. But those few degrees over time become the difference between light and shadow. John Wilbert goes on and says those five degrees are the difference between living for heaven and hell. What does it mean? It means, friends, some of you can look like amazing parents. And as parents, we should be wanting our children to flourish but a shadow mission comes out when actually we don't want our children to flourish. We want them to flourish so that we feel like we have value. Let some of you businessmen who are called and positioned, just like my brother Calvin, to be in a place where you influence the world for good and for God, but you've stopped being obedient to Jesus and you've started to actually care more about profit margins than you do about obedience to the kingdom. That's compromising our convictions. Compromising convictions is when we click on things, we watch things, we do things in the darkness, hoping no one will see it in the light. That's compromising our convictions. It's living in the shadows. And Christ has called you to live in the light. Once more, we read in verse 4, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. Here he is. As soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they cried out, Crucify crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for charge against him. We can be fooled into thinking that Pilate not wanting to crucify Jesus is because he cares about Jesus. But no one who cares about someone sends them to be flogged. Pilate sends Jesus to be flogged, hoping that they won't force his hand to know what he does is wrong. He sends Jesus to be flogged, hoping that that will kind of placate the crowd. Hey, we we whipped him and they whipped him. The the history tells us that the whips they used to to whip Jesus in that moment tore his flesh until it was hanging from him. He was dripping in blood in this moment and he's got him standing in front of the crowd going, look, I've I've heard him enough. Isn't this enough? Haven't I satisfied you with my compromising of my convictions? And still they call out for blood. Crucify Jesus. Why? Because everyone has a shadow mission, including the religious leaders. And shadow missions are insane before their hunger for the dark things of this world. At any stage, Pilate could have suppressed the crowd, but he chose not to. Instead, he abdicates decision-making, saying, I'm not going to choose to kill him. You go kill him. Because friends, this is also how insecurities play out. They play out when we begin abdicating our decisions. How often have you ever said this? I just wish someone could make the decision for me. I just wish someone else could choose. Usually, that's because two kingdoms are at war in our heart and we don't want to be responsible for making the wrong call. Often, our shadow mission abdicates decision making that we might be the ones who can throw the first stone at the person who got it wrong. Where in your life are you abdicating decision making right now? Because this is also just fueling the wave of insecurity. Our story finishes with Pilate confronting Jesus. Now you've got to remember this. We can kind of read through scripture and be like, oh, it's just a bit back and forth. Jesus, his body is flayed, it is ripped, it is torn. They've shoved the crown of thoughts on his head. They've beaten him, they've mocked him. He is discouraged. In that in mind, listen how Jesus interacts. The Jewish leaders insisted. We have a law and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He pleads. He asked Jesus. But Jesus, standing there dripping in blood, he gives him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate says. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or crucify you? Francis said not a more insecure line that Pilate could have said in that moment. When you have to remind someone of your status or your position, you've already lost it. The person that says, I'm the leader here, says it because they aren't the leader there. Pilate's clinging to his status out of insecurity, trying to get Jesus to recognize and be impressed by his power. And how does Jesus, being beaten and flogged, respond? How would you respond? You would be crying out for mercy. We would be saying, this is silly. I'm innocent. I don't deserve this. Jesus answers like this. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. What is Jesus saying here? I know my mission. I know why this is happening. I'm going to stay the course. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Do you see what they're doing here? They go and they go, we know what you really care about. You care about what Caesar thinks about you. So guess what? If you don't do what we want, you mustn't really love Caesar. And we're going to tell everybody. Pilate sees what he wants, the insecurity, the part of him that he longs for the most. For Rome to notice how good a leader he is gets triggered. And in this moment, it's almost like a faith. it's all done because Pilate will not be judged as someone that's not faithful to Steve so much that he'll even go against his convictions when Pilate heard this the story tells us he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement which in Aramaic is Kabatha it was the day of preparation of the Passover it was about noon here is your king Pilate said to the Jews but they shouted take him away take him away and crucify him shall I crucify your king Pilate asked We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Other versions of the story say in that moment, Pilate washes his hands. He says, I wash my hands of this decision. As if that would actually remove the guilt. Pilate's last step, after avoiding responsibility, after conforming, compromising to his convictions, after abdicating decision-making, he conforms to the expectations. And this is what our shadow mission often does. It says conform, fit in, capitulate, don't stand out, don't strive, don't fight against the current, sacrifice righteousness for immediate gain, sacrifice intimacy with God for intimacy with the world, sacrifice purity because no one else can see, don't worry about it. The shadow mission leads pilot and leads us all to compromise, to conform to expectations. The whole way along was Pilate's ego and possibly his wounds. That when they said, you're not really Caesar's friend. He's like, ah, but I really want to be. And so he ends up walking the path of darkness and the die was cast. He avoids responsibility. He compromises conviction. He abdicates decision-making, conforms to the expectations of the world around him. Why? All to fulfill a temporary mission in exchange for an eternal king. Friends, I've got to be honest. I think we do this all the time. All the time. We hide our real motivations, and we might even be looking like we're doing great things, serving at church, doing nice things for the poor. But deep down inside, we're just chasing a shadow mission in our heart. It's the father who thinks that a larger paycheck will justify the lack of tenderness in the home. It's the volunteer who knows how to claim, it's all for God's glory, but really just longs for personal acclamation. It's the pastor who looks humble on a platform but allows the words of praise to feed the self-absorption in their heart. It's a social media account that knows how to post virtue signaling posts but doesn't know how to walk humbly before the Lord their God. It's the front. It's the face. It's the hidden motivation. It's the status. It's the job promotion. It's the things that we're chasing. When really deep inside. We, we look like we're doing the right thing, but we know something's eating us. Our insecurity is feeding a desire. And in the midst of all of this, friends, stands Jesus. In stark contrast, not only to Pilate, but to all of us. Did you know that Jesus Jesus had his shadow mission? He did. That's what you read about in the temptation in the desert. When for 40 days, Jesus was tempted by the devil. Hey, you seem hungry. Just turn this stuff into bread and eat it. Just, just use your power for your own self gain. Jesus says, no, I will not. Hey, hey! why don't you just throw yourself off a really tall building? Let's see if your father in heaven really loves you. Prove, make him prove himself. And Jesus is like, that, that's not the mission I'm here to do. Hey, you're going to go die on a cross for the world? I'll give you the world if you'll just bow to me, says Satan. And Jesus says, depart from me. And God of Gethsemane is tempted by the shadow mission again that he would refuse the cup. And how does Jesus respond? He says, Father, if it be your will, if it be your will, I'll go. He refused to compromise conviction. He refused to avoid responsibility. Instead, he took on responsibility for all mankind. He refused to compromise conviction. Instead, he spoke truth that put him in the crosshairs of other people's shadow mission. He refused to abdicate decision making. He set his eyes towards Jerusalem and he walked towards his death. He refused to conform to expectations. He was caught loving and pursuing some of the dirtiest people in society at the risk of his reputation. Why? Because Jesus came to save Pontius Pilate. He came to save Peter. He came to save Mary, he came to save Susan he came to save Mark, he came to save Michael he came to save us from our shadow missions because he has a better calling for us friends but first the way we combat our shadow mission is by acknowledging we have one that we are not that dissimilar from Pilate the Jewish leaders, the disciples and many other figures in the Bible we look good on the outside but on the inside we know We're operating from our ego and our wounds. So I want to finish with three questions today. Do you know what your shadow mission is? When John Ortberg spoke about this, he said, you know, people talk about life verses and mission statements. And he said, "I I can't come up with a life verse or mission statement, but I can tell you right now what my shadow mission is. Friends, I think we know. I know. That year, that, that, that moment for me was one of the most impactful sermons I've ever met, I've ever met. You don't meet sermons I've ever listened to. And it revealed to me that I'm actually a very insecure person. And the way that I've learned to deal with my insecurity is by talking about them, not hiding them. So it's not appropriate for me to share with you all my insecurities, but I want to talk about two today. I'm massively insecure about my masculinity. I know some of you are like, I did not see that coming. I was really badly bullied in school. Um, I wasn't good at sport. I literally was really only good at what you see me doing today, public speaking. And we all know the guy that's good at public speaking. Man, everyone loves that kid. He is popular. I fumbled balls. I, I, I wasn't smart. I wasn't funny. And, and so I grew up having things said about me, words that, that, that emasculated me words that made me feel effeminate, words that made me feel less than a man. So when I finished school, I decided that that would not be who I was. I decided to prove I was a man. And this meant that I would enter into situations where the win for me was to come across as the alpha male of a group. I know you look at me like, you don't look like an alpha male. That might not be how I look, but it is how I act. And it hurts. It hurts people. It hurts people when you walk in because the alpha male only exists if there are others that aren't alphas. And my whole life, I have to fight a shadow mission still to this day where well, I have to remind myself that my manhood doesn't come from my ability to be good at sport. That who I am as a man isn't based on what other people think about me. I'm a man because I'm a son of God. I'm a man because I, I, I want to be a man of integrity. a man of character. And I chase those things. And can I be honest? Friends, I still do it. I still struggle to not walk into moments with bravado and and like bouldering people and issues over. But daily I bring my shadow mission before God because I've got boys now and I want to teach them what it means to be a real man. Not a man that's afraid of the feminine side or any of these things, but a man that knows his identity is one in Jesus Christ. I have an insecurity about my significance I really worry that I will die and no one will remember me. It plagues me that people will forget my name. Do you know how beautiful it is that I can know that my name is written in the book of life? That long after history has forgot Michael Hands, my Father in Heaven will never forget my name. He holds me, He keeps me. That even if I fail at what I am doing today, He loves me. I fight that every day. These are shadow missions you may witness in my life. You may have to call them out at times. You may need to protect me from them in moments because that's what community does. What's your shadow mission? Have you ever thought about what our shadow mission of our church might be? Because I think we have them. Our mission statement is, more people, more like Jesus. It's awesome. I love it. But I think we add things to it. More people, more like Jesus, as long as it doesn't cost me anything. More people, more like middle class, white suburbia, rabbina. Now, I know some of you here today, I'm not from white middle class. I'm just saying, I, I think that we have this unconscious bias. More people, more like conservative voting Jesus. More people, as long as I don't have to talk to anyone new, then they can become more like Jesus. That's someone else's problem. More people, as long as it doesn't cost me a thing, or they don't do a tithes and offerings message, or there's no awkward moments, or they don't hurt me like I was hurt in the past. And these are just products of our egos and our wounds. What is our shadow mission? Friends, the second question is this. Have you acknowledged it before Christ and others? I acknowledge mine before you today to give you permission. I heard after the first service, people in the courtyard just crying together, saying, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And I'm like, man, that's, that's, that's the stuff. That's what we want. Because here's what I know. Darkness thrives in darkness. But the light kills it. The fastest way for me to deny my insecurities isn't to hide it. It's to tell you about it. And friends, I just want to ask today, who are the people in your life that you need to tell about your insecurities? And have you confronted them with Jesus? Because that's why he came. Because the last thing I'd say to you is this. Do you know that Jesus invites you into a better mission today? That today, right now, You might be finding that you're fighting a shadow mission of temporary glory when you have an eternal Savior calling you to an eternal story. I just want to say this to you today. Do you know the mission and the calling you have in your life? Don't let your insecurity rob you from what God has for you. Don't let your shadow mission pull you away and sacrifice encountering and responding to the living Jesus Christ. It's a mission that invites you in not to earn approval, but to work from approval. It invites you in not to be scared by insignificance, but to know you are already seen and loved and valued. A mission that invites you in not to conform to the standards around you, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is important for us as a church. Jesus sees you. He calls you. He longs to know you and he loves you. Will you bring him your insecurities today allow him to transform you? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we just pause for this moment and we just ask. What are you saying right now? It's the first step. Um, I just sense uh, there's some people in this room today who, for the first time, you've heard that you don't have to live for your insecurity. You can live from security. But what it means is that we repent of living for ourselves and we choose to live for Jesus. and We invite him to make our life new again and weave us into his story. If that's you today, if you want to live from security rather than your insecurity, if you're online, there'll be a button to click. But if you're in the room, here's what I want to do. I just would ask, if you want to live for Jesus and not for your shadow mission anymore, for the first time you want to respond to that call, I'd ask, would you just raise your hand right across this room right now? That's you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I see your hands. I see your hand. Thank you so much. Jesus, right now, we see people just hands raised and responding online. Lord, I thank you for this. Friends, if you raise your hands, I want to lead you in a prayer right now because I believe heaven is saying I'm calling you home to love and to life. And So I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. Brothers and sisters across this room, I've got to join. Repeat these words. Dear Jesus. Let's say it together, friends. Dear Jesus, I choose to follow you. Forgive me for following my shadow mission. Teach me to know your love, to live for you from security for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you right now for people who have responded to that, who said, this is it. Right now, I live for something greater. May the kingdom of light flood their hearts, flood their souls in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Friends, I just got emotional before making that appeal because I just sensed this one thing that I didn't do the first service, I'm going to do now. Sometimes we operate in a shadow mission because of past wounds. And I I sense this all the way through worship. I'm just going to take a step of faith. I operate in insecurity because of stuff that was said about me. I just have a sense that there are people here who have had stuff said about them, and you can't shake it. And I just believe that God wants to set you free from what's been said about you, that you might know what He says. I was going to ask you to do something bold right now. If that's you, if you you know, you know the words, you know the words. They've imprisoned you. God doesn't want you to leave this place imprisoned. If that's you right now, I just want to ask: Would you have the boldness? Would you stand wherever you are? There's stuff that's been said about you in the past, and you're like, I, 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 I want to be set free. Would you stand? Thank you so much for your courage. Thank you so much for your courage. It's awesome. I'm going to wait a moment longer. Some of you are like, can we st- is other people standing? doesn't matter. You stand. You stand. Hey, if you're a mature Christian, and that's not you, can I just get you to stand with someone right now? Just go stand with someone. Go stand with someone. And just start speaking words over them. There are some mature Christians standing right now. There are some new Christians standing right now. Hey, if you need to stand and you're like, oh, I need this. Can you just stand right now? Don't don't wait. Don't wait. Let's just pray for our brothers and sisters. I was told that I threw a ball like a girl. Can I tell you another thing? I've met many girls that throw balls really well. And number two, that was not an identity that should have been spoken over me. Some of you have had words said like that. Hey, we're not going to let that be standing. Let's pray right now. Father, we break in the name of Jesus Christ words that are not of you. Words that are causing us to operate from insecurity. We we, we believe that right now standing sons and daughters of God. Mighty men and women. So we renounce the curses of the past. We speak the blessing of the future. It stops today. It stops now. In Jesus' name we pray. Friends, if you're standing with someone, would you just continue to pray with them? Just continue to pray. Why don't the rest of you stand with us in this moment? And we're going to respond in worship now. I'm going to sing two songs, I'm not sure in what order, but one of them will be All Hail King Jesus. And this song was first written, but it was first said to Jesus as a mockery. And when we get to All Hail King Jesus, we sing it as worship. For Jesus did not let the wounds of his past do anything but lead him into transform our futures. That's who we are today. Friends, as I worship Jesus, my arms outstretched like this. You know why? It's how I surrender God. Can I be honest? My arms are usually tired. I don't really like doing this because I get lactic acid. But here's what I do. I'm reminding my body, surrender to Jesus. Let's worship Him today.